We've all heard the saying that success leaves clues, but here's the question for you. Are the successful people that you know in your life today doing things that you haven't quite caught on to yet? Let's discover that now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Grow With Tim podcast. I am not Tim. You are. <laughs> I'm Tim Joyner, and this is JD. Yes, okay, very good. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're doing on this episode is uh, Tim asked me an interesting question as we started to think through this one, and it was, hey, JD, who do you know specifically that you would consider successful, and what are some of the characteristics that we can kind of map those people to and uh, come up with this idea that uh, success leaves clues, and if it does, um, then how can we utilize what we've learned from the people around us? So why did you come up with this idea? Where, where, did, where did this kind of success leaves clues idea come from, you think? Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's an idea that has been percolating in my mind for a decade or two. But I, I knew somebody, I worked with somebody that was super successful once, and he was constantly talking about how really successful people are just good copiers, and it was kind of mm. irritating because I considered myself a pretty creative, okay. know, smart person. Yeah. And I like, I, I want to invent my own way. And he's like, look, don't reinvent the wheel. Figure out somebody that's already succeeded and look at what he or she's doing and then emulate them. And it's a whole lot faster way to success. And I found it irritating for a long time. I think what I've come to peace with is I'm not just going to like do a carbon copy or exactly the same thing as anybody does. But if I can take the the nuggets from dozens of successful people, success does leave clues. There are common things that most successful people do. And if I can take those raw ingredients and and make my own meal, I'm 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 good with that. So So here's my question. First off, why do you think that did you feel like some sort of internal connection to your ability to be smart or look smart? Why isn't why is it that copying for you was kind of like a blow, you know, a blow to the gut? So that's a good question, and I don't know. I mean, that might be a question for Maybe my therapist, right? Maybe you need therapy, right? right? Yeah, right? Maybe that's what yeah. it is. So okay. I think that part of it, it actually felt like cheating. Like in school, right, you and I went to the same institution of higher yes, learning. But and that's what I'm asking because I was literally like thinking growing up, growing up, you were homeschooled, right? Yeah, that's and right. I went to regular school, and um, in school, like, you, like we all yeah. know, like, and successful people, and we hear it in entrepreneurism all the time that, well, you're cheating if you copy right. and you utilize other people. Right. And it's I despise people yeah. that, like, you know, just you, you go on somebody's website or something and they've got this blog post that is a total ripoff of what somebody else wrote. And I, I it's always made me feel dirty, right? Mm. And so I think when this guy who was incredibly successful and very wealthy and had a big business, multiple big businesses, okay, when he kept saying, you just got to find somebody that, that's doing what you want to do and copy him, it felt almost like cheating. And I don't actually think it is. Like, I think you find a business model that works and and you emulate that yeah, business model. It, there's nothing there, unethical but you, but internally, about internally, right, internally there was a, a struggle on your personality. And it also, to be frank, I've never been attracted to franchise. we got a lot of people that listen to this that I'm sure are excellent franchisees, and, mm-hmm. and that's great. For me, being a franchisee never appealed to me because it seemed boring. Like, I don't want to run somebody else's playbook. I want to I want to kind yeah. of make my own, right? Well, and I think that is what you and I are doing in our entrepreneurial life. And there are plenty of people that take risks and work hard, and they are Absolutely. those franchise-type people. It just isn't for me. Yeah. It isn't for totally me. Fine. But, but I think 
that Carlin, this guy I'm talking about, that, that said you just got to copy somebody that's been there, done that, what he was really getting at is you don't have to start with zero. There are so many mm. clues that success leaves. There are, look, if he's the best XYZ, you know, whatever it is, underwater basket weaver, then figure out how he weaves his underwater baskets. And if she's the best whatever, take the cream from all of that and put it together and whatever it is that you want to do, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Like if you're, if you're going to build a buggy, right, you don't have to start with the wheels. You can go buy a wheel. You can buy a wheel from this person and buy a hinge from this person and right. put it together. And that's oh, yeah. kind of my take on it. Gotcha. So what, what I hope to do in this podcast is you and I, this is something that I, this is the other reason why I want to do this podcast with you. You and I have both been fortunate enough to interact with some really remarkable people. Agreed. Like yeah. in your line of work, you get access to people that most of the world doesn't get access to. Which sometimes you forget yeah. until you sit down and you're, I'm, you know, kind of posed with the question. Right. And I'm like, you know what? I do know lots of good folks. Yeah. Big folks. And, and, and I've yeah. had some equally remarkable, maybe not equally, but remarkable opportunities to interact with billionaires and people that are incredibly successful, not just financially, but in the nonprofit world and with their families yeah, and with right. their church and lots of different, really successful people that you and I have access to. And a lot of people, you know, observe like celebrity business people from a distance and all they know is the public persona. But right. you and I have That's right. flown places with people and yeah. sat in the back of cars with people right. and, and sat down for dinner with people right. that are super successful. Yeah. And I want us to talk about what we've learned from these people and what can our listeners apply yes. and, and what have we stolen? What do we get away with? Yeah. Right. You know, and like, you know what? I realized this. So it's going to be free to you because it took us a lifetime of being in the right rooms and getting the green lights for a lot of these conversations. You but, got it. You got it. So tell us about somebody that you respect and admire. And by the way, we're we're intentionally avoiding like the celebrities that seem almost untouchable. Like we have oh, another wow. podcast for that. So yeah. Go right? back and watch that one and listen to that one. But, so yeah. today we want to talk about kind of down to earth people that are within reach, right? These are not um, people like, well, they're just blessed with super intelligence or they were bo born with a golden spoon in their mouth, silver spoon in their mouth or whatever. Um, these are, are kind of down to earth people that have really achieved a remarkable level of success. And we want to find out what they're doing differently from the rest of the world, right? Yep. So all right, you've got some people in okay, mind. Okay, yes. Person number one, ladies and gentlemen, I've mentioned it on this podcast several times. Maybe it's because my sphere is a little bit too narrow. I don't know. Tim, help me out. But uh, in our city, Greenville, South Carolina, I have been an employee and potentially mentored by and a little bit in a friend relationship with one of the most successful guys and the most publicly successful guys in our town. His name is Craig, and he owns the baseball team. Yep. So, Craig, as a reminder, Tim, uh, he was uh, in Midtown Manhattan during the 90s. And during that time, he was in a CFO-type position during about 200 mergers and acquisitions. And somewhere in there, he made a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Yeah, a whole bunch of money. And uh, he decided uh, to come down to our area, the upstate of South Carolina, in the northwest corner, and put a minor league baseball team back into play because the old team had moved away. So I was his employee, and that's how we met yep. um, originally, and I was employed by him at some level for about 10 years. Yep. Uh, and during that time, I learned a lot of things. And the big thing that I took away from this guy, now, number one, here's, here's one thing that I'll say. You mentioned in our last episode, I believe, 
that uh, when you got off to college and you're living in the dorms with a bunch of dudes and got new friends and new opportunities, new state, that, uh, wow, these people are different than me, Yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, okay. I'd lived, lived a pretty sheltered, yes. narrow life right. before that, right? So what I realized is um, being the personality that I have and being paid very handsomely at some times for doing what I do and speaking and things like that is the celebrity we see on television a lot of times has a very similar personality to me. Actors, um, ballplayers, and things like that. You know, they get on, the ones that we know are the ones who go and they show out at press conferences. Yeah. They end up as guest stars on talk shows. Right. And things. So they talk like right. me, right? They have right. personalities. Right. This man does not. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Craig, if you're out there, I, I think he understands that he hired me to be a personality at his yeah. ballpark. However, this man was so different than me. And one of the things that I noticed from him, because it wasn't about his speaking ability, he even had to opening night at our ballpark, literally opening night, 2006. He had to give a little speech. Yeah. He was not happy about it, didn't uh -huh. want to do it. He just figured that was the place to do something. Yeah. And he and I'm thinking, how do you get this rich, this wealthy, this respected and all that stuff and never like want to even talk? Like I mean I mean this that was my eye opening moment. I don't even know how that would work. What is he good at? One of those things that I really discovered from Craig is what I would just call partnerships. Hmm is he realized that, and this is some of his words, um, actually, and some of the mantra behind it, the, kind of the mission statement down there at the ballpark, is um, that he wanted what they were bringing to town. He had two partners at the time, but uh, he's the only guy now. Uh, it wanted it to be in the fabric of the community, meaning that there was going to be civic and private and uh, public partnerships, you know, and I think we kind of understand that when we think about sports teams, like yep. you have to have the blessing of the mayor and the government and the councils yep. and things like that. But he really worked hard on that. And I'm a lone wolf type of guy. He yeah. really understood that he needed to partner with churches. He needed to partner with schools in the school district, partner with the mayor and the council because it wasn't about his personality. Yeah. That was my mind-blown moment because this man is the most boring guy in the meeting. Uh-huh. And that's not me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, he's killing it, though, compared to me. Interesting. So a lot of, a lot of nuggets in there. Number one is, you know, somebody said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a team, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, probably people that are tend to be earlier in their careers, tend to be these rugged individualists. Like, I, I, I don't need a team like they'll just slow me down like I'm smart and I know how to do stuff and I know how to get stuff done and let me just let me just go do it and the problem is you, you hit a ceiling eventually with that somebody like Craig has evidently figured out that it's got to be bigger than just him right no surprise but but in general I think what somebody like Craig has figured out maps to one of the one of the items on my list which is leverage mm -hmm. the problem with going alone is basically you're trading hours for dollars okay right yeah. and there's yeah. a limit even if you are the most successful attorney, you know, in your town and you're a brain surgeon or you're whatever really highly paid individual, there's a limit to what you can bill as an hourly rate, right? I mean, really good attorneys, maybe five, six, seven hundred dollars an hour or something like that, but but there's a limit. Yeah. And so most people that are really successful have figured out how to leverage what they have. They leverage their time. They leverage their relationships, partnerships. Yep. They leverage right. their assets. They leverage their, their dollars and their financial resources. 
And leverage, I think, for me, it, you know, Craig with his 200 mergers and acquisitions clearly understood leverage. And what you're talking about is how he, he worked with the team. So he leverages his own skills. He's really good at a certain number of things, but he wasn't the guy directing on-field entertainment. Of course, right. And he, he, he wasn't um, – he wasn't a lone ranger that was going to do all this by himself, right, right? Right, Yeah, and of course he had to establish a staff. But even going back to his CFO days, I've only got to imagine. I haven't had conversations with him about that. But he wasn't the personality putting it together either. Yeah. He was able to be involved in someone else who had a vision of leveraging a bunch of things. And he was in the right seat, right place, doing a good job. And he was able to capitalize from that. So he realized, oh, well, if we find the right teams to put together, then you make something way bigger. Because no one person is pulling off. Lit- right. I mean, I think they had the record in the 90s in the world for how much they were able to scale because of the things they bought and yeah. acquired. So, Strategic Coach talks about unique ability and basically what what are you good at? What do you love to do? What are you always getting better at? Focus your time and energy there, right? As a kid, you're not very good at math. They're like, oh, Jeremiah, here's an extra math worksheet, right? Fix this weakness of yours. And, oh, you're not very good at English. Well, here's an extra English worksheet. And here's spend a little more time, get a tutor. You're always fixing your weaknesses. But there right. comes a time where you've got to say, look, you're not very good at math. You probably shouldn't be an accountant. Yeah. But look, you're awesome at this other thing. Maybe you should go do that and and lean into your strengths, right? But what that means is as you get narrower and narrower over time, you're not doing anything that you're only mediocre at. You're getting narrower and narrower. That means that you've got to have a team of people who are awesome at the things that you're not awesome at. Right. Right? You better have an accountant. It's not you, but you better have yeah. one. If you get really great at what you're doing, hopefully some money comes, and if that's success to you, someone needs to manage it. He's not a front man. He's not the personality. He's pro- I, I don't know Craig personally, so I don't know what skills he has, but I'm sure he has some numbers. really deep skills somewhere. Numbers. He's good at numbers, but, numbers. He, but he's got other people that he surrounds himself with that do other things. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's bigger. I'm going to generalize that a little bit and go back mm-hmm. to the idea of leverage. Um, I think most successful people leverage everything. So how do people leverage their time? I've told you before about Dan Sullivan and strategic coach, and I heard him once say that uh, he loves to travel to the Four Seasons, right? Four Seasons Hotel, really nice hotel chain in North America, maybe internationally, I'm not sure. And basically that's the only place he stays. And then one day he and his wife were talking about how, you know, it's so nice at the Four Seasons, but then we come home and we have to do all this stuff. So they made a rule that they only they only do at home what they would do if they were staying in a Four Seasons. <laughs> okay. So yeah. what that means is they hired a personal chef. Yeah. Because they don't really like to cook, and they've got better things to do with their time. Things that they, and and they're they really leverage their time. So they don't do their own house cleaning. They don't wash their own clothes. They don't drive their own cars. They don't like anything that they wouldn't have to do at a Four Seasons. They don't do at right. home. That's kind of an extreme case. Most of us don't live in a world where that's practical. But but they figured out how to leverage their time and focus all of their energy on the things that they are uniquely gifted at. And they surround themselves with people that do other things that they're not uniquely gifted at. And everybody comes out ahead. So leveraging your time, leveraging your assets, right? You've got to figure out how to have assets that are making money for you, whether that's a business or a portfolio of businesses, whether that's real estate, rental property, or your – Somehow, you've got to have more than just the 24 hours in your day of you trying to do everything. And I think wealthy people have figured out how to leverage their time and their money and their other resources and their partnerships and everything. 
the leverage is a big thing that we could probably do a whole podcast on. But for now, let's move on. Who, who else you got? Yeah, well, I think that all of these things, right, can be spun out and have yeah. their own book and their own series, right? And things like that. Okay, so the next person I want to introduce you to is a um, wonderful, wonderful lady in our town, once again, who runs the Ronald McDonald House charity. So most of us know that because that is an international brand. And what the Ronald McDonald House does is helps families stay close together when a child is sick, injured in the hospital, or seeking medical care. So the reason I know that tagline so well is because I get hired by this group in our town to do their spokespersoning type work. And they have an annual gala, and they have um, fundraising activities, they have volunteer appreciation things and things like that. So I'm involved with them. So her name is Marty, and uh, Marty's been at the helm of that for probably a dozen plus years. And what I have learned from her specifically is the idea of communicating a vision, communicating a mission, why it's important. Now, there's most people out there are going to, most people, I mean, there's a connection to families who are hurting, sick kids. I mean, you know, I mean, have a heart people, yeah. you know, all of us kind of understand that. But what you have to keep doing, what's interesting about this particular mission is that as the moment one kid has a success story and one family is able to move on, hopefully in a better place uh, health-wise, the next family moves in mm -hmm. with a, a very devastating, terrible new situation. Mm -hmm. And people are constantly in need of that medical care. We have a great health system from several different health communities that are in our area. And uh, a lot of people come to the, our house. We have a 24-bed facility, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It went from 12 to 24 about four years ago. And what I see on a consistent basis is communicating to a new volunteer group, communicating to a new church group, a new school group, that we need cookies baked. They have fresh cookies baked by volunteers in our local Ronald McDonald mm -hmm. house every day. Yeah, I love it. Every single day. And I'm thinking, man, the problem with me is I want the problem to be solved. And I'm sure the families that I've met inside, they want the problem to be solved in their personal cases as well. But, man, this conundrum of families and kids uh, dealing with medical treatment will never go away. Mm -hmm. So what she does really well is involve other people in the mission and the vision on a day-to-day -day basis over and over and over. That's a lot of cookies, Tim. <laughs> it is a lot of cookies. And, <laughs> yeah. you, and, and you can get excited about baking cookies for a week or two, right? But after a while, it becomes this burden. That's if what you're I not think. constantly yeah. re-energized by this vision of why you're at the big why, right? I, I last, I think it was in the last episode we talked about, you know, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people and send them to the forest to collect wood and assign tasks and responsibilities and all right, you do this and you do that to build right. a ship, right? Instead, impress upon them, compel them to 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 look forward to the endless immensity of the sea. Like, look, don't you want to be out on that sea? And if they get energized by the vision, the outcome, then they're going to gladly come alongside you and help you build that ship. Right. And so if you're going to be successful, you probably are going to have to think big. You're going to have to think about the endless immensity of the sea and be really good at conveying, communicating that vision. And and it's not enough just to stand up and give a speech once a year and say, all right, this is what the Ronald McDonald House does. Right. right. You've got to constantly be stoking those fires right. and communicating that vision 
and thinking bigger than everybody else inside your organization. Yes, because they have to, that's another good point that you just mentioned, because if you have a big mission and vision that you're trying to get across, right, the mission of keeping families close, the vision of making sure that uh, people feel like they're at home, Four Seasons, they really, our facility in our town is very homey. Yeah. Makes you feel like you're at home, not in a dorm, not in a a hotel, not in a hospital, of course. And the thing is, is you have to communicate a vision where everyone fits inside of that. She's got to fit whatever it is, a thousand volunteers per year in and underneath that umbrella of a vision in their respective roles, from cleaning the floor, mopping, doing dishes, and baking cookies every day. Somebody told me a while back that your vision has to be so big that everybody else's vision can fit into it if you want to attract highly driven, successful people, right? If you want to work with great people, there's got to be room for their vision inside of yours. And if you have a a small vision or even a medium-sized vision, all you're going to attract are small-minded people that can easily fit in there. But if you want really phenomenal people that are going to bring their best selves – You've got to you've got to think bigger, right? Yes. I'll tell you a story about thinking bigger, and one of the things I've told you many times. I love being the youngest, dumbest, poorest person in any room, right? Least successful person. Some people want to be like the big fish in a small pond, yeah, and right. um, I want to be the the little fish in a big pond because that's where I learn the most. That's where I grow the most, right? And so I'm frequently challenged to think bigger. Um, I, I don't know, this was probably six or eight months ago. I was trying to put together about a $2 million deal, which for me was a pretty big deal. Like, this is not something I do every day, right? right? And yeah. I'm working really hard to put together multiple parties and investors and financiers and putting together this $2 million deal. And I met another really successful guy that's had multiple exits and done some amazing things. And and he listened to my problem. And then he said, you know, Tim, it's easier to raise $20 million than $2 million, I said, it is? (laughs) And he said, yeah, because you've got people that are in a different echelon and it's easy for them to stroke that kind of a check. When you're trying to raise $2 million, like usually you're talking to somebody that it's a big chunk of their savings and they've got all this due diligence and whatever. And then he said, now look, the deal that you're trying to put together, you're buying this business from this other person, but this other person is like trying to retire and get out of all of his businesses. And this is just one thing you're trying to buy. But he's got this whole big portfolio of businesses. Mm-hmm. He says, why don't you go to that guy and say, look, you're trying to get rid of everything. Let me solve that problem for you. Let me just buy the whole portfolio and you can raise money this way. And do." And it was mine. And to this guy, it was just like, well, yeah, it's easier to raise 20 million than 2 million. And here's the way to do it. And right. you can put, and so he's, he's thinking way bigger than I am. This is the same guy, by the way, that's trying to make moonshine on the moon. He's like hired a Uh NASA, not, not NASA, a rocket scientist basically from the NASA jet propulsion laboratory. And he's got this team he's put together and he's legitimately working on making a moonshine Moonshine. distillery on the moon. And he's doing all kinds of other big things. But my point is that he thinks big and then he's really good at communicating those stories, that vision to employees, to board members, to investors, um, to other people. And I think really successful people think big and communicate that vision in appropriate and inspiring ways. Love it. And I think that's what Marty brings to the table. Yes. All right. Good. Who else you got? Okay. So my next person, we're going to go back to the baseball world here. And it's somebody that I interacted with for a very short period of time, but was very impressed with. And this was Gabe Kapler. If we've got any baseball fans out there, they're going to remember that Gabe Kapler was a major leaguer. 
But after I believe it was nine seasons in the majors, he retired. And he started coaching in the Red Sox organization, which with I was involved in. So he came down, fresh retired from majors, could have kept playing, I think, probably. Wasn't injured, yeah. wasn't too old. Um, baseball, a lot of bodies can take some hits for a little while. And he started working with first, second, third year uh, team. He was managing yeah. our team. And these guys are, uh, nobody was older than me at the by the time I hit like 24. Yeah. So everybody is between um, 18 and 24, we'll say, because I'm sh- pretty sure some of those Latin players had fudge birthdays. Okay, <laughs> some very big 18-year-olds, there's no chance. Okay, so anyway, that's a whole other story. But what I realized from this man is um, his future was bigger than his current situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason I say that, Tim, is because, as I recall, nine years in the majors— uh, doesn't get you a pension, but crazy enough, if you didn't know, that 10 years in the majors gets you as a part of that uh, Players Association yeah. a pension. Pretty sweet deal. Yes, a yeah. pension, but he only played nine yeah. and then got out. Yeah. What happened over the course of managing the team with a bunch of 20-year-olds is he thought, realized, I don't know, didn't have this specific conversation with him, walked by his office all the time, saw him every night, is he decided to go back and be pro again. So during the time where he was managing and coaching these players, these younger players and these newer players developing in the organization of the Red Sox, at some point he decided he was still better than them, Mm -hmm. or he knew the whole time. And I remember him specifically saying that he started to get really frustrated because the players, some of the players, because we had Red Sox. This is in the era, Tim, if you don't recall. 2004, 2007, the Red Sox, we won World uh-huh. Series. So some of these players, though, did not take their nutrition seriously on a day-to-day basis. Did not work out, show up on time. They stayed up late. You know, yep. some of their pros for the first time, and they're young. Some yep. of them are teenagers, so they got a signing bonus, maybe yep. the half a million, million dollars. And they're making pennies to play every day, but they had gotten some money, bought themselves a car, got some girlfriends in each of our cities. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the whole, the whole thing. So I was watching it, but he decided after one season of being a manager to go back, and he was killing it in his first month back. So this is the month of April for all you baseball fans out there. First month back, 10th season now, highest batting average in the league hmm. for the first month. Hmm. So what did, he, what did he do to be able to achieve that? What he did on a day-to-day basis, I realized, was this man was chiseled straight out of Michelangelo's laboratory. <laughs> I'm not joking. This man was cut everywhere. And I remember specifically his personal training and his diet were still on point because at some point he realized, I'm going back. Mm-hmm. I, he saw a future that was compelling to him to keep doing the day-to-day tasks that are the monotonous stuff that you yeah. don't want to do. Yeah. So he he was making hard choices now that were going to yield future benefit. Yeah. Yes. I, I, so that's on my list too is I think really successful people maintain this wonderful investor mindset. They're always making temporary sacrifice in exchange for future reward, and the future reward far exceeds the temporary sacrifice, Right. Um, I was with a, a group of business people earlier today, and we were talking about this very topic, about how can we invest our time and our energy and our resource and our focus in, in order to yield or reap future benefits. 
Albert Einstein says the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. Right. Yeah. But you that applies to time just as much as it does to money. You and I probably, I don't know, several months ago stole one of my favorite episodes of, of the podcast. We talked about investing time, not just money. And I think that's what this guy was doing. Like he was investing in his future. He was making temporary sacrifices, hard choices that maybe some of the ball players he was managing weren't, which yeah, was so frustrating right, right. to him, right? Yeah. But then he comes back after sitting out for a year or two, and he's got the best batting average killing, in the league. Killing it. The, the Brewers, I think, he went back to Milwaukee. Um, yeah, uh, and I think that it was frustrating to him to be around someone with a compelling future vision who's willing to take those hits today, those sacrifices today. It was also frustrating to be around people who weren't doing that. And he knew what the payoff could be. Yeah. Look, this is small potato, small town stuff. Yeah. You know, what if we get back to the majors and you make the big money and you have the big checks and you have the opportunities that come along with it and endorsements and stuff like that? I think almost every successful person I've seen, even the breakout successes that are like on magazine covers, what's what's frustrating is mo- most people only see them once they hit the magazine cover. Right. Right. And it's like, wow, an overnight success, 20 years in the making. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, wow, these people are amazing. What you don't see is all the, the hard work that they did. And, and one thing I've noticed, these people get interviewed and they, you know, the, the TV reporter or whatever will ask them what their secret is. And they never talk about the years of slog because, well, I don't know if it, I don't know why they don't, but it's almost like, you know, the, the person who lost all this weight or they've achieved something remarkable, they, they find something simple to say like, oh yeah, I, I started drinking this juice or whatever. Right. right. But what you don't see is that they were actually working out 90 minutes a day for the last two years or they whatever they were making sacrifices that are not necessarily popular to talk about because it's the small choices that add up but they're small choices so it's even harder to talk about like well you know every single morning i wake up and go uh here we go again but i know what i'm going for i know i feel good afterward you know working out but that stuff is hard to talk about like it's like well i mean the secret sauce is the repetitiveness of the focus you got it yeah all right so so far we've got people successful people use leverage they they partner with people to um cover for strengths that they don't have or to provide strengths that they don't have Mm -hmm. um they leverage their assets their time their money um we've got that they communicate a bigger vision and the vision has to be big enough and inspiring enough and and repeated enough that people come along with them We've got that they play a long game. They make temporary sacrifices in order to, you know, reap future rewards. And I think you've got one more story for us. I do. So I want to introduce you to my buddy Jody. So Jody lives in our community as well. He owns a portfolio of rental properties that probably is in the 400 range. Last okay. I checked with him. So 400 I doors. Time, 400, 400 doors. doors. Yeah, okay. 400 doors. Um, many a single, a yeah, single family places, uh, mobile homes, several parks as well. I've done a lot of ride alongs with this guy. So Tim, I met him in an environment, um, that allowed me to spend time with him. And then when I got into a place, very sticky situation, which probably needs a whole podcast where I was broke, I knew I could call him and there was things that were sticky points in his business. And I bet you I could get myself employed tomorrow. Yep. Uh, so that's what I did. Yep. And for about six months, I was his right-hand man. Yep. And it was problem-solving. 
type idea. I wasn't out there actually pouring concrete, mowing lawns, fixing leaks, none of that. I would go to his office and uh, we would try to tackle the fact that he was having his other handymen submit timesheets for the last 15 years on paper. Mm -hmm. So we figured out how to, you know, I've heard of this app and maybe you could figure it out for me. So we did stuff like that. But during that time, I got to see numbers. So you were leveraging him. He, he was using you to get more leverage. He was, yes. he didn't, he 100%. knew that there was this app. He knew there was a better way, but he didn't have the time or the patience or the energy or the skill set to do Jeremy it. So he said, Jeremiah, right. do go yes. solve this problem, make it go away. He was, he, he was leveraging. 100%. Okay. He knew that I could go look at the internet, which is yeah, not right. his thing. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So, th so Jody, great dude. Love this dude. He's the type of guy who'll never listen to this. So let me tell you a few <laughs> things. All right. I mean, this man cannot put a sentence together can't spell, mm -hmm. probably can't, he probably couldn't spell my name, yeah. probably couldn't spell yeah. my name. But what I saw here was a man but who, he had 400 say, doors. Correct. Yeah. Would, number one is he minded his own business. Hmm. That's what he focuses on. Hmm. Tim, when I tell you I have never met someone who had more unread text messages Text messages, ladies and gentlemen, how many unread text messages do you have right now? Take a look at your device <laughs> if you are able. Zero, one, two, that you know you're going to get to after lunch? Uh -huh. This, hundreds, hundreds of unread text messages. And we all, all of our moms have tens of thousands of unread emails, but I'm talking text messages on his phone. So what he was great at was focusing in on what he was there to do. And this man loved his game. His game was mobile homes, riding around looking at them, getting a caterpillar and a bobcat and scraping some stuff over here, dumping some concrete, looking and checking on his guys to make sure they weren't stealing hours from this paper, mm -hmm. <laughs> this paper they were submitting. <laughs> That's what he just loved to do. So he's just focused on it. So, Tim, another thing is how focused this guy is. If you call him, he ain't picking up. Mm -hmm. But if you know where to find him, it ends up as a ride-along. Mm -hmm. So that's how you learn, too, because I'm riding along. Hey, I got this question, this idea. want to talk to you. want to see you. He's so, not going to so, stop working. So he's so you, not hanging out for 90 minutes in a coffee shop. Oh, no. He's no not chance. He's not shooting the breeze with his you know, no other real shooting. estate buddies. There's no breeze right? shooting. He's focused, and he's not wasting time. He that's is on it. So, okay. yeah, if you're going to if you're gonna hang out with him, it's you're gonna meet him truck, at um, his next stop. Yep. If he's not in the office, meet yep. him at his next stop, and then your car is getting left because you're going to need to ride around. Mm -hmm. He's got to go drop some stuff off at the court. He's going to go check on this place over here. He's got to yep. deposit some cash. Yep. He's just doing his stuff all yep. day, and that's what he loves. I, I, so that's on my list, too, is that successful people tend to be really focused and re, not just efficient but effective. They're, they're using their time in the pursuit of a goal they've identified as important, right? Um, I've told you before, I don't know if it was the last podcast a couple times ago, I, I had the opportunity a long time ago to work in IT at a real estate company. Yes. This was when I was in grad school and um, learned a lot from that opportunity. But I would go every Tuesday afternoon to this real estate company and they'd have a list of IT problems and I would spend a couple hours on Tuesday afternoons solving all these problems for people mm -hmm. and made good money and helped pay my way through grad school. So what I noticed was most real estate agents at this company, they had several hundred agents, were always in the cafe. They were out there watching the news. They were talking about how this buyer is so terrible and this home inspector really screwed this deal over. Right. And they were okay. always complaining and kvetching and gossiping. 
And and then you had the star performers who were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Their doors were always closed. Okay. Like they just had their head down and they were working. They were never out there. They might come out and get a cup of coffee and then sure. they turn around and went right back right, to work. Right. Whereas these other people literally for several hours a day, I, they, I don't know, I guess it made them feel good to talk. And sure. they, maybe they thought they were learning or they were networking or something, <laughs> but but I got access to the numbers and, and this I saw week after week, as week after week, you saw the same people and, in the same role. And I knew some of those people that were out there for hours a day were selling like three or four houses a year. They weren't even making minimum wage, man. Right, it it right. wasn't a job. It was a hobby, but you had the people that were really producing were like focused. Right. Yeah. And, and I think even people that pride themselves on efficiency, most of us have traps like, yeah. I don't know whether it's oh, social sure. media yeah. or it's YouTube or it's, Food. you know, you're playing a game yeah. on your phone or whatever, and, and you can end up wasting a lot yeah. of time. I'm not saying that you should be workaholics. Far from it. A workaholic doesn't meet my definition of success. Like, I want to live a well-balanced life where I'm enjoying time with my friends and my family and spending time with God and producing. But when I work, I work. Yeah. Right. And let's not play at work. Or let's not constantly you, get yeah. distracted. Like, so and, and one thing, we haven't said the word success since the beginning of the podcast. You just brought it up again. Once again, these people that we're talking about all had different, completely different personalities. Yeah. The four people that I've mentioned, completely different lines of business, athlete, real estate, yeah. big community partnerships, nonprofit, yeah. way different. And success means different things to different people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking at things in at completely different areas. But for Jody, what he does, how he does it, and how much joy he pulls from it, yeah. that's success. Yeah. For me, I would have a very hard time. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. that job. No, I wouldn't right. want that job. But right. I did learn because of him. Right. Um, I think that yeah. is important to acknowledge yeah. before we wrap up that success means different things to different yeah. people. And what I what I hate is there there is sort of a stereotypical success in America at least that I don't really like. Like you have this uber wealthy famous person that has been divorced three times and sure. his kids hate him and he's yeah. got like I, he's that being sounds sued terrible all the time yeah. because of maybe undermining yeah. or underhanded deals. Uh, I, yeah. That's not success for me. Um, success. Unfortunately, I think many people that you and I know are not those people. We've probably been blessed to be in circles where we don't right. know a lot of those people, and we've known one or two that are those people, and we're like, that's just not success for me. Right, for yeah. sure. But even those people I can take nuggets from. Like, there are things that they have done well, and let me learn from those and maybe not, maybe learn from their mistakes as well as their successes. Um, but I'm not trying to to copy somebody that, that meets some external standard of success. That gets back to how we started this podcast. So anyway, we've got a lot more to talk about. We do. We've already exceeded Good. our time. Yes. So I need to hear about two. some of your people okay. coming up in the next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, if success is leaving clues in your life, what we want to know is maybe some of those comments about the people that you know, what they're doing, and what areas we have not mentioned yet. And Tim, my challenge for you, I need to know some of your people. All right. Next week. We'll All right. Be back. Two weeks. Two weeks. We'll be back. See you soon.